The Naked DJs Podcast. Are they really naked? We know they expose themselves every day just so they can bring you the best of music. They like to stick it out there for everyone to hear. You can hear their podcast on Anchor.fm, YouTube, and any of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome to the Living the Dream Podcast with Curveball. If you believe, you can achieve. Welcome to the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast, a show where I interview guests that teach, motivate, and inspire. Today, we're going to be talking all things mental health and trauma as I am joined by author, professional mental health coach, podcaster, and combat veteran, Dylan Sessler. Dylan, his big platform is TikTok, and he has lots of followers, and he uses that platform to talk about mental health and trauma. So I've invited him to the show today to tell his story and talk about that with you, the great listeners. So Dylan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Curtis. I really appreciate you having me on. Why don't you start off by telling everybody a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, so recently in the, in the recent, like last two years, I became, uh, I guess a public figure in some way with, uh, with TikTok. Uh, I've gained over 575,000 followers at this point. And just talking about, t- uh, just talking about mental health. Uh, I, I really started my journey in March of 2020, talking about suicide, mental health, uh, trauma, trying to help people understand what it, what it's like to overcome these things and, and what it really takes to stick it out and, and keep going. Um, and the reason I kind of got started was uh, back in 1996, I was six years old. I lost my dad to suicide. And that, that monumental moment in my life was, was kind of the building block of my own journey and understanding trauma. I didn't understand it back then. Um, found myself in a lot of different situations like child abuse from uh, from the next man, uh, bullying in high school. I found myself in, you know, engaged in war. I, I went to, I joined the military at, at 17 years old just to, to get away from everything, but also to, to chase my own death. Um, and I found myself in Afghanistan a couple of years later, uh, not able to actually find that. Um, I saw just about everything else I could see, but I didn't find myself. Uh, I didn't find my own death there. And I came home and I struggled with PTSD. I didn't know it. Didn't understand it at the time, even though people told me outright that, you know, you're probably struggling with PTSD and I just didn't listen to people. Um, and I came home, tore my ACL while I was on active duty. And I kept, I was sent down to Fort Knox and I struggled alone there. I was, I was, put into a medical, uh, a medical, medical unit basically to recover from my injury for, for eight months. And it was, you know, I was probably one of the hardest times of my life because I was sleeping for one hour a day maximum. Um, and I was thinking alone for 23 hours a day. Uh, and I, I ended up finally getting out of there. Uh, I don't know how, 
in some ways. I, I struggled my way through it and ultimately found my way back to, back home uh, as a na- member of the National Guard and continued to go to school um, up until 2015 when I when I nearly committed suicide myself uh, because of the culmination of everything. And I, I really found, uh, I found a moment in my life where I had to legitimately take stock of what was happening to me, uh, my own self-awareness and ask the question that ultimately brought me here to you um, and, and what I do now. And that was why am I here? Why am I in this place at this moment right now? Uh, and then I spent the next, you know, seven years getting to here, answering that question and digging into the hardest truths that, that I could dig into, um, without, you know, without deceiving myself, like I had been for, for 20 years before that. So ultimately that's a, that's a short version of my story, but that's, that's, what's brought me here. Um, it's given me the, I guess the experience and the, the wisdom to kind of look back and see all of that allows me to help people and, and understand people in a way that, that a lot of people struggle with. And so that's, that's what I do is I open up people like I opened up myself and I give them no judgment. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have the right to, to judge anyone. So I, I certainly don't. And I just give them the opportunity to share in a place that is abundantly safe, um, which, which a lot of people need right now. So that's, that's my story. Well, tell us about as much as you can remember or what you understood when your dad took his life at six years old. I'm sure that had to be a real traumatic experience. It, it was, you know, I remember, I remember coming downstairs one, one day and it was August, uh, August 11th. He died on August 12th. I'm sorry. It was August 12th, the morning of August 12th. I came downstairs and I remember my mom and my sister in the kitchen uh, with my dad. And I remember my dad kind of proclaiming, like, I, I've got a meeting today. I'm not, I'm not going to be home until late tonight or even tomorrow. Um, and so don't wait up for me. And when he started kind of talking about this, I immediately had this, this deep sense of, uh, of just bad feelings. Um, like my gut was turning all, I just remember the visceral sensations of that's not true of listening to him. And, and that's what I was saying to myself. And I sat with that for a second. And then I, I immediately kind of, kind of ran to him and clung to him. And I told him not to go. Um, and I remember that, that emotional kind of outburst as a six-year-old, not knowing anything, but what this feeling was telling me. Um, and I knew it was different, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like a, you know, that normal six-year-old, like six-year-olds never want parents to go, but this was different. Um, and certainly it became a lot different as I, as I remember that feeling, I, you know, I grabbed his leg and he was six foot six at the time. I was not, uh, as, as a six-year-old and he, he simply, grabbed me, pulled me off and said, you know, I love you. I'll see you. I'll see you later. 
or, or something. I don't remember exactly what he said, but I do remember him saying, I love you. Um, and I remember, remember that cliche kind of walk out the door, you know, and take a left and, and that was it. That's, that's what I remember, um, from the day, but I remember the morning after my mom waking me up in a rush and telling me we have to go to our grandparents' house. And that's where I found out. And it was that feeling that always stuck with me after that. It was the, the sensation that I knew he wasn't coming home or my body did, you know, whether my, whether my mind knew it or not, my body certainly was trying to inform me that what he was saying was a lie. And, you know, at that point, when I found out he, he had committed suicide, I was, I blame myself, you know, I was six years old. And so it, it felt natural to simply blame myself and take on the guilt of that. And then as I learned more about suicide, I also learned, you know, from, from people who didn't necessarily know how to expose this to a child, you know, I was, I was exposed to the shamefulness of suicide back then is obviously in the nineties. And so not only did I take on guilt, but I also took on shame of what my father did as well as the, the shame of not being able to expose that I might've been the problem. I, cause I knew he wasn't coming home. Um, and so those feelings became more or less foundational in my life and they became a centralized uh, struggle for me that I never exposed to anybody until well into my twenties. Um, you know, even after my own suicide attempt, I never told anybody about them probably until 2016 or 2017. Well, talk about your, your story when you thought that you wanted to take your own life, tell us kind of what led up to that and, and how that I guess not how it was, but how your dad's suicide played a part in that, if it did. Yeah, it, it, it did. It certainly did. Um, but I, I would say in quite the opposite way of what I, what I expected. Um, I was, I was going to school at Whitewater at the time. And when I, when I came out of school that day, it was just not a good day. I, you know, a month prior, I had broken up with my ex-girlfriend. Um, I was struggling through just the the difficulties of PTSD, and I didn't I had never been diagnosed before. Um, but there was there was always that anxiety. There was always that depression. Um, there was always that that feeling of something's going wrong somewhere or someone is trying to hurt me or something's something's not good because I'd gotten home from Afghanistan three years ago or two years ago at that point. Um, and it was still there. It was that that feeling was still there of I'm gonna die or you know someone's gonna try and kill me or something like that. And I was exhausted. You know, my body had been not only carrying the weight of the shame, the regret, the guilt of my father, the, the, the child abuse, the bullying, war, uh, you know, the injuries I had sustained. And at that point, this was 2015. So it was my third ACL reconstruction or my second ACL reconstruction. My third uh, ACL surgery um, was about to happen uh, in like two months. And so I just 
at that point I was just defeated. I was, I was tired. I was done. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't looking at it like that. I was looking at it like I'm causing all of these people, all of these problems, you know, and that really centralized around my girlfriend and, or my, excuse me, my ex-girlfriend. And I found myself, you know, I, I left school, drove 25 minutes home and was just, you know, was crying. I was defeated. Um, I was crushed by all of this. And I got home and I, you know, ultimately made the decision. I'm, I'm, this is it. You know, I'm, I'm, I had made a, a decision when my, when my dad died that I was never going to commit suicide. I was never going to be like him. And 19 years later, I just couldn't, I couldn't hold that rule to be true anymore. Um, and I decided that was what I was going to do is um, I was going to end my life that day. And I got, I pulled out my Glock 34. Uh, I, I, I don't know why I went out in the hallway, but I went out in the hallway and I sat down and I just cried. I, I contemplated it for a long time. I, I picked where I was going to, where I was going to do it. And I was going to shoot, I was going to shoot myself right behind the ear. Um, and I remember thinking about this and like thinking about, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot my medulla oblongata because that's the only thing, you know, I'm a, I'm a soldier. So I know these things. Um, that's the only place in the human body. That's going to, that's an automatic shutoff switch. You, you end that you, you feel nothing. Um, you know, no one's going to, you know, people might miss me, but I'm, I'm doing them a favor. You know, I, I cause too many problems. I, I don't, I don't solve any problems. Um, I just make more of them. And when I, when I cocked the gun to put the, the round in the chamber, I put it, I put it to my skin. And when I felt that barrel on my skin, it was a moment of incredibly deep reflection. It was a moment of understanding what my father had actually felt that day. Because you got to understand that my, my dad was an alcoholic, a, a, a bad one. He was, a, he was I, I would say, borderline addicted to drugs, uh, addicted to tobacco for sure, um, de- severely manic depressive, uh, bipolar in some ways. And so this is a man who, who deeply struggled with a lot of things. He had a lot of childhood trauma. He was, he was abused as a child by an alcoholic father. Uh, and I compared myself to him probably for the first time because uh, I had never really looked at the, the difference between us. And, you know, for the first time I looked at that and I was like, I'm not like that. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a soldier that has given a lot to this country. I've given a lot to other people, you know, and, and if I do this, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just not that person that he was. I, I haven't been through these things. I've been through other things. And ultimately the question came out of, you know, why am I doing this and why did he do it? And ultimately that the answer came and, you know, came to my mind of, you know, we're, we're remarkably similar, but we're in, we were in different situations. You know, he was a father. I wasn't, um, you know, I was a soldier. He wasn't. And, you know, I, he was an addict in many ways and I wasn't, you know, an alcoholic and I wasn't. And, and so 
I had to really look and understand that I, I just wasn't causing the problems that he was causing. Certainly I might've been causing other ones, but I wasn't him. And I had to come to terms with the fact that I wasn't him. And yet that was the closest it felt I, I had ever, I had ever felt like I was understanding him in some way. And that was a, a deep moment for myself. It was a deep situation for me to actually realize I, I get it. I get why he chose that. But at the same time, I, I can't do this. You know, I can't, I can't do this to other people because he did that to me. Um, and that's when, you know, that's when everything kind of started to change and started to transform for me. Well, talk about the mental health system. You know, you know, there are starting to be more programs out there, but how do you feel like the system is doing to help people? You know, the system is overburdened and all that stuff. So what do you think? You know, it, it's, it's hard to say because if I've learned anything in the last two years, it's that this, this job is hard, right? It's, it's in, in many, in many ways, it's damn near impossible. Uh, and so the mental health system is what it is, right? It's, it's a system built to try and do its best, but in many ways it's, it's outdated for some people, you know, not everybody has the same access to what's working right now. Um, not everybody has access to information, right? Not everybody has access to that stuff and not everybody has access, you know, that's just talking about the system, but not everybody has access to the system itself for a number of different reasons, because of stigma, because of money, because of insurance. And so it's, it's really, it's really hard to say the system is bad. Um, but it's also really hard to say that the system is good because there's, there's this historic trend of utilizing pharmaceuticals to treat mental health when the reality is, is that there needs to be a lot more probably a lot more of a holistic approach taken um, for a lot of people. And most, most importantly, we need to have a better understanding, not just as a mental health system, but as a society about what, what is empathy um, and, and how do we actually approach these conversations? Uh, because what I found myself in terms of niche is I'm in this place where I'm a funnel for the people that will not ever go back to the mental health system itself. They won't go back to therapy. They won't go back to a psychologist or a therapist or a psychiatrist, but they'll come, they'll come to a coach that has the experience or the, I, I would say life, life focused wisdom of what they've been through. Um, and I'm, I'm not anything special. But what I am is someone that has the ability to, to tell people, I'm not here to tell you what to do. I'm just here to listen to what you have to say. Um, and when, when you have the ability to do that, you open up a lot of doors for people. Um, you open up a lot of doors for people that have never had that door opened up for them. Um, and it's an, a remarkably empowering experience for them. And I think it's the first step towards healing. Um, is it, is it, am I going to be the one that walks them all the way to the, the end of that path? I don't know. And, and 
I don't think it's my right to uh, gatekeep that, nor do I think it's the mental health system's right. Um, and I think we have to have a much deeper conversation about what that really means, because I think in many ways, the, the mental health system is a gatekeeper for a lot of people. And it, and it becomes a, a really big struggle for a lot of people to actually utilize it to find healing when um, if, if things were changed, if rules were changed, or if operations were changed, emergency rooms were changed a little bit to kind of fit uh, a little bit differently, I think a lot of good can be done, but it's a, it's a difficult conversation. It's a legal conversation, which makes it more complicated. Um, and so it's a, it's a hard system to approach in many ways. Well, talk about why you chose TikTok as your platform and how did you gain so many followers with the topic that you discuss of mental health and trauma? That's, that's a good question. Um, well, I, I've, I've always followed a guy named Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk uh, for a long time. And, and Gary was pretty adamant about TikTok back in 2019, 2018, 2020 timeframe. And I was, I was kind of in a situation where I wanted to write my book. I wanted to also sell that book and get that message out there. Um, I wanted to have more access to people. And all Gary could talk about was, if you don't get on TikTok, you're losing an opportunity. Um, so that's kind of, I came home from Afghanistan 2019 for my second deployment. And I started a business in March of 2020. And I was like, all right, I started a business. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this book. And the only way I'm going to be able to get this message out there is if I start jumping out on TikTok. And so I started making short videos about mental health, talking about life, talking about, you know, anything, you know, talking about my own experience and what I had been through and what other people go through and trying to just give people, give people what I never had. And so I, I started that. And I think within the first month I had like 10,000 followers within the first two months, I had 30,000 followers. And then within the first nine months, I had 300,000 followers. And now you know, just over two years later, I'm, I'm over, you know, over half a million followers and I'm still going, you know, just, just doing what I do. Uh, I've, I've danced maybe twice in 1500 videos. Uh, so it's not just a dance. It's not just an app for dancing. Um, I talk about suicide. I talk about sexual assault. I talk about anything mental health related, anything, depression, anxiety, PTSD, trauma, war, uh, I even I've even read some of my favorite poetry on it and, and gotten such a such an incredible response. And so, you know, I just I just became myself on a platform. And if people liked it, awesome. If they didn't, you know, I just kept going. Uh, and that's that's really all it is. It's it's just consistency of of being genuine and being real. And I think that's what TikTok really is. Well, talk about your book and your podcast. Tell us what people can expect when they read your book or listen to the show. Oh man, uh, those are two vastly different different things. I think my book, you know, "Defy the Darkness," is is a raw experience of what it was like to be me, matched with 
I think my, my advice, you know, for, for how to view the world through the lens of mental health, um, how to overcome those battles and, and fight, you know, fight back against trauma and not just let it own your life. It's a, it's, it's a raw experience. That's, that's the, 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 I think the best, best way to describe it. And it's a place for those of you who are really struggling with life. Those of you that are really struggling with people to start redefining how to step forward, you know, and, and take those first steps into healing um, and those first steps towards creating peace in your life and, and kind of ending the chaos of uh, especially what trauma and suicide and all of these difficult things have to offer. Um, while on the other hand, uh, the Dylan experience, my podcast is a, uh, it's a selfish venture. If I'm being honest, it's a, it's a place for me to interview people that I think are really cool and learn, you know, because that's one of the things that has really helped me through the years, um, is learning. It's, it's given me, uh, a way of consuming knowledge and, and connecting with good people. Uh, that I just absolutely love and I want to share it with other people. And so that's kind of what the Dylan experience is about. It's certainly just as raw as my book. Uh, and it's more focused on, you know, having conversations about difficult topics and yet learning as well and being, you know, being respectful um, about the experiences of others and kind of having that ability to to dive deeply into these subjects that are taboo you know, throughout our lives that not many people talk about. And that's, that's kind of what my goal is with the Dylan experience. And my book is, is to help people. So there's that. Do you have any current or upcoming projects that you're working on that people need to know about? Oh man. I, I, I never stop having <laughs> upcoming projects uh, coming up. I I'm working on building a couple online courses for, you know, that, that will kind of go with my next book, um, which is again, another project. Um, my next book is going to be somewhat, uh, somewhat different from my first one. It's going to be more focused on what I've learned from my coaching and helping people and what is most important, I think, in the process of healing, specifically relationships. Um, and how to assess them and how to develop an understanding of how your identity was built from your relationships. Uh, and so I, I'm really going to dig into that aspect of, of life and kind of build around it. Uh, I, you know, I, I can't wait for that to come out, but it might be a while. I'm, I'm you know, obviously building the online courses as well. Um, but I think most importantly, I'm, I'm having a little girl. I'm um, having a little baby in June. So that's, that's, I think what, what I'm preparing for the most. Well, congratulations on the baby. I got two kids and they are great. And you will remember that moment when she's born for the rest of your life. Absolutely. Give out your contact information so people can connect with you, the website, how to listen to the podcast, the TikTok, so people can connect with you. Absolutely. So my, my website's my name, dylansessler.com. Uh, you can, you can schedule a coaching session. If you want, you can follow me on YouTube. Just look up my name, Dylan Sessler. You can find my book on Amazon. Uh, it's called defy the darkness. 
Um, you can find me on Instagram or TikTok with Dylan Sessler, uh, Dylan underscore Sessler. Uh, yeah, I mean, you can find me pretty much anywhere on just, just Google my name and you'll, you'll see me. Well, I just want to take this time to thank you for your service, first of all, and, and thank you for what you're doing for people. You probably don't know how much or something that you might say can save somebody's life. So close us out with any final thoughts, anything that I didn't talk about that you would like to touch on or anything that you would like to say to people out there that are struggling with mental health. I, I will leave you with this. The most important thing you can do to do for yourself is listen to yourself. And that's the hard part is when you listen, you're not listening to your thoughts or your words. When I'm, what I'm talking about, when you listen to yourself, it's listen to what your body's trying to tell you. If it's tired, it needs you to slow down. It needs you to take a step away from the chaos. It needs you to express yourself. Um, and, and when you start to become more aware of what your body actually needs and what your body's trying to tell you, that's when you're able to actually start healing. That's when you're able to actually understand what you actually need. Because if you don't listen to yourself, if you don't give yourself that time, you'll give it to someone else who will take advantage of it. You'll take, you'll give it to work who will use it for, for what they need. You'll give it to your family who will use it for what they need. You'll give it to everybody else, but you won't give it to yourself. And eventually your body is going to take, it's going to take it back in its own way. And I'm afraid you're not going to want to, you're not going to want to deal with that. You know, it, it, the body says no in many ways. It says no in physical ways. It says no in painful, hurtful ways. Um, and eventually it won't work for you anymore because you weren't working for it. Um, so listen to your body and, and learn how to appreciate yourself, learn how to take care of yourself and learn how to respect yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, DylanSessler.com. I'd like to take this time to thank Dylan for joining us and ask you listeners to share this to as many people as possible because Dylan has, he's doing a lot for the mental health of people all around the world. And you never know something that he said could help save somebody or steer them in a more positive direction. Be sure to follow, rate, review, share this episode to as many people as possible. And Android listeners, go to the Google Play Store and download the Living the Dream with Curveball podcast app. Dylan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. For more information on the Living the Dream podcast, visit www.djcurveball.com. Until next time, stay focused on living the dream.